My name is Paul Waller and I'm a horror movie addict. During 2020 and 2021, the workload for my band and my music management job slowed right down. At the same time, I discovered the movie social networking platform called Letterboxd. So, I decided to fill in the gaps of my horror film knowledge. Within week one, I was averaging three a day. Two years down the line, I reckon that's gone down to about two a day. This podcast, though, it is the result of that horror compulsion. This is a year in horror. First thing first, housekeeping. Now, A Year in Horror has a Patreon page. And again, I just want to say a huge thank to all those of you that have supported the show in the past six months via the site. You've got a choice. You've got a £3 tier where you can support the show. You can just pay your £3, be content that I've bought myself a coffee and I can stay up a bit later and edit this a bit better. There is also a £4 tier, and with the £4 tier, you can support the show, again, just like before, but this time, you can do it whilst listening to loads of extra content, which includes a monthly radio show where we play some of my favourite scores in horror, but there is also extended chats currently up. I'm also now well into exploring the grime and the filth of the video nasty explosion, and so far we've had Absurd, The Burning, Axe, Last House on the Left, House by the Cemetery, Evil Speak, plus Night of the Demon. There is an AMA up there. There is an Uncle Acids and the Deadbeat special up there. There is a chat on their latest Scream movie up there. But coming up, we've also got A Bay of Blood from 1971. We've got a chat with Slasher Dave and also the Devil Hunter film from 1980. All sorts of horror discussions, lots of different guests. Come and join in. Honestly, it really does help me out. And if you like this big hitting monthly show and you do want to show your appreciation, then I would say (laughs) that's exactly how you should do it. I feel so weird asking for your money. But yeah, if you can spare it, I'd love it. Once again, patreon.com forward slash a year in horror. Thank you in advance. But for now, you've clicked on the podcast that is about to deliver to you Part one of the 1985 rundown. Imagine that, 1985. This was a year that Beverly Hills Cop and Back to the Future killed all the cinema competition. They were the most successful movies of that release year. As for horror, in the top 50, only Fright Night and Friday the 13th, A New Beginning, they're the only two that made an impact. A Nightmare on Elm Street scraped in thanks to the word of mouth from the previous year's release. But Fright Night and Friday the 13th New Beginning, they're the only ones that got in that top 50. So, I said it last month, as usual, we are really low down on the rankings. It just seems that no matter how good, how amazing that these horror films are that came out in 1985, it just 
didn't resonate with audiences. But you will see from the list that 1985 was awesome. And here is a quick spoiler. Neither of those two movies even made it into my top 10. The last big hitter episode was 1981. And my top three that I had in my charts were American Werewolf in London at number three, Possession at number two, and The Evil Dead as my number one pick. And I did think that everyone would be reasonably cool with that. And they were. Two months in a row now, no complaints. Maybe, just maybe I'm doing something right. I think we might be in luck with this year as well. For this month's big hitter though, 1985, I think that most people will agree with my top three, but maybe not in the same order, but definitely the films. Anyway, to make the assessment this month, I watched a total of 60 horror movies and science fiction and fantasy movies, and I started to hit some really good ones when I got around the number 16 spots or when I got to there. So, what was going on in 1985? Well, I was 10 years old. My whole life at that time revolved around Star Wars and this. Not only that, but also this. Yep, I was all about Prince, I was all about Madonna, all about Star Wars, to the point where I just woke up and I thought about it all day, and then I went to sleep, and then I woke up and I thought about it all day, and I went to sleep. Ad nauseum. In the news, at 54 years of age, Mikhail Gorbachev became the leader of Russia. At the age of 73, Ronald Reagan took his second term as US president. This is the year that Live Aid happened. And so you know, I was having my hair cut in the morning and that was when it started. They had a TV screen on in the hairdressers. The hairdressers was right next to the video shop. My dad wanted to know if I wanted a video. I did not. For the first time ever, I just wanted to get home and watch Live Aid. And then my dad raced me home. I watched the rest of it on TV. That was my day. As for sport... I think Wimbledon is where we're going to head here. Uh, for the women, Martina Navratilova, she won. And for the men, Boris Becker. Does that mean anything to you? It doesn't mean much to me either. And 85 was also the year that we first heard about the hole in the ozone layer. Worrying times for all, but not podcast times. So how does it work on this show? Well, let me tell you. For those that are new to the show, here's a quick guide to what A Year in Horror is all about. This is a podcast where I choose a year at random every month and I run down my personal favourite films of that year. That's it. That's the show. I say it every month and I'll say it again. Essentially, it's a list show. And if I'm covering a film that you don't like, if I'm covering a film that you do not care for, or that you just like to skip on because you're bored of this one, well then... All the time codes are in the notes, but be aware, they also act as spoilers for whatever film is coming up next. Plus, with each episode, I am joined by some stellar guests, and they help me wade through the most interesting films of the bunch. So today, we have some podcast regulars in the shape of Howard Smith, in the shape of Choff, in the shape of Bred Hansen, in the shape of Mark Canali, and in the shape of Paul Chanter. As for special guests, those first-timers to the show, 
Well, we have two this month. We have Freudian cinephile Mary Wilde, and you may well know her from Projections and Evolution of Horror podcast. And we also have the death metal vocalist Dave Ingram, and he's from the band Benediction, and he also did the vocals for a while in Bolt Thrower. Right, almost there. My definition of horror is sometimes considered simply wrong by all those gatekeepers with a more rigid idea of what makes a horror an actual horror. And sometimes those simply wrong choices of mine, well, they'll make it to the very high reaches of the chart. So, if you're one of those delightful wrong'uns, be aware. And when you make it to the very end of this episode, I'm going to be picking out of a bag at random the next year that I tackle for the next month's edition of the podcast. If you look throughout the back catalogue of episodes, you'll be able to see what years we've covered so far. I've jettisoned all them from the bag. And you may well be thinking right now, that's all good and well, Paul. But 60 films, that isn't enough to judge a whole year in horror. And I sort of agree, I tried to get hold of 63 films this time around, but I couldn't source those last three, and one of them really pissed me off. I really wanted to find a film called Transmutations, because I remember that so vividly from the VHS rental store when I was a kid, but I just couldn't find it, couldn't find it anywhere. One day I will, and I'll report back. And here are some rules. Everyone's got them. And these are the ones that I use to create the show. A movie has to score at least three out of five on Letterboxd for me to watch it. But sometimes there's exceptions to those rules. And 1985 saw the release of Chiller, directed by Wes Craven. And that scored a miserable 2.1 on Letterboxd. But it is by Wes Craven. And that means that I'm going to watch it. It also has a running time of 104 minutes. Was it worth it? I had to find out, and so are you going to soon enough. Here's the most important thing, though. I'm simply a fan. I'm an enthusiast. I am not a scholar of horror. I'm just a dabbler in the dark arts. So so I don't watch these things academically. I just have a deep love. It's my opinions only. It is a list show. And if I miss something out that you love, then let me know feel free to contact the podcast and you can do it in these ways. You can follow me at Walla Not Weller and that's on Letterboxd and on Instagram. You can hit me up on at Not Weller Pod on Twitter. You'd think I'd have learned these by now. Uh, You can definitely email us at ayearinhorror at gmail.com. If you enjoy the show and you don't have the money to spend on Patreon, I get it. So here's how you can help. Just a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, That is a review where you can say whatever you like, but then just click five stars. That really helps out. Are you ready? 1985, was it more dead than alive? Let's find out. It is that time again. Time for us to delve into the very worst that 1985 horror had to deliver. Well, 
to my eyes anyway. There may well have been worse horror movies that came out in 1985. In fact, I can guarantee you that there were. But this is the worst 10 that I saw. All of them are horrible little fucks of movies. And we're going to begin. We're going to count down from 10 to 1. And here is my number 10 worst horror from 1985. It's an accolade that goes to Terminal Choice. In this one, doctors are betting on whether or not patients are going to make it through their stay in some sort of futuristic hospital. And when I say it's futuristic, it is for 1985. It may seem like as silly an idea as what was going on with the other hospital horrors of the time. I'm specifically talking about hospital massacre and visiting hours. Uh, They were dishing out similar stuff. And you'll be right, it is. My favourite bit in this, though, is that I watched the VHS upload onto YouTube and it had all the glitches and all that rolling tape fuzz from the days of yore. Uh, And it made this whole experience far more effective for me. I reckon this could well have been the worst film, but I was just enjoying that look so much. I just wish the direction of this thing was tighter. The pacing is proper off. Uh, and some of the blocking is that, that equivalent of just cheap TV quality. A real shame. Next up is the horrible Jim Carrey shit heap called Once Bitten. The phrase, get the virgin. This is the sort of hilarious dialogue that we get with this movie. It's another horror comedy and it fails to hit even in a so bad that it's good way. I watched it purely to see that very young Jim Carrey. I wish I hadn't bothered. Slightly worse though is a movie called Covenant. And this one is definitely a made for TV movie. And it stars my very favourite lady, Jane Badler. Uh, She was in V... And this documents how the 1% of the 1% have sold their souls to Satan. And it's up to an organisation called the Judges to stop them from taking over the world. All in all, I felt like I was watching a really bad episode of Dallas or Dynasty. And it is a horror. It's bizarre. Next up is Chiller. Emerging from the twilight. Out of the crypt. Why does this happen to And from beyond the dark side, there is Chillers. Five people traveling by bus must fight for their lives when demons hidden beneath their psyches suddenly come alive to hunt. About wherever you are. To haunt. And to horrify. Chillers, brilliantly directed by Daniel Boyd. Chillers is a film you can really sink your teeth into. With suspense that will keep you hanging. Gonna have a hard time driving that vehicle with no internal organs. Trying to find out who or what ripped that kid's head Breakfast. Chillers, a new movie from Troma. Evil travels in many forms, even by bus. Chillers is the recipient of the prestigious Silver Scroll Award from the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films. 
So that was the trailer for Chiller. Uh, it's a Wes Craven made-for-TV movie, uh, and it was done the year after A Nightmare on Elm Street. This couldn't be much more different in style, in tone and flair, and, well, just about every aspect of filmmaking. Looking at the reviews for this, it appears that hardly any folks are holding Wes responsible at all, but I say, hang on a minute. If this was Wes actually directing this, then he should have done so much better, regardless of budget and script and whatever is thrown at him. So many other directors just killed it on this format. Chiller is just terribly paced, it's flat, uh, and it's a weight that Craven's legacy should have to bear. Slightly better, but not very much, is a film called The Midnight Hour. It is a made-for-TV, family-friendly horror starring Geordie LaForge from Star Trek <laughs> as one of several teenagers that raise some partying ghouls from the dead. It's harmless, it's not scary, it's not funny, uh, it looks cheap as hell, uh, but not every kid's horror movie features like this full-on dance routine, so I can't be too harsh about it. But I will be. And I am. Okay, now we're getting into the real dregs of things here. Vampire Hunter D. It's totally not my bag. It gets a point for the animation. It's alright, but I ain't into vampires. I ain't into vampire hunters. Fantasy animation meddling with horror. I ain't into that. Anime, I'm not into that. Maybe I shouldn't have watched this. Talking of things that maybe I shouldn't have watched is this. It's hard rock zombies. Well, there are soft rock tracks that are played by zombies. It's pretty whack, whack, whack. And I have to admit, I do love the Nazi sex pervert gang. In theory, I like that idea. In execution, though, it's just all so naff. And naff is a really good word for it. Um, it doesn't hold any Waller juice here. No Waller juice is held. I'm not a fan. And here comes more horror comedy. It is Transylvania 6 5000. This film is rotten at its very core. Horror comedy with a great, great cast, but it is so poorly written. Half of this stuff must have been ad-libbed. From front to back, it just, it just feels like complete trash. And this next one, I watched it purely so you don't have to. Trust me. Next up is The Secret of Seagull Island. Now, watching this in this day and age, it was very much hard work. It took me three days to get 45 minutes in. And I cared so little that I didn't even bother to wait until any of the horror began. I just had to give up. It was awful. There is a blind woman in this and some conspiracy on an island. Lots of shit goes down on boats. And nope, probably nope, and definitely nope again. So, time for the rundown. <laughs> okay, at number 10 in the worst horror films from 1985 is Terminal Choice. Uh, number 9 is Once Bitten, the Jim Carrey shit heap. Covenant is next. Then Wes Craven's Chiller. Uh, then The Midnight Hour. Unless you're into anime... Vampire Hunter D was total trash. Following that is Hard Rock Zombies. And number three was Transylvania 65000. At number two, The Secret of Seagull Island. And you can watch that on YouTube if you want. Uh, finally, 
for the very worst horror that I did see for the 1985 Big Hitter episode. And it does count. It counts as 1985. Grab your pitchforks. Light those torches. Just do whatever. Just don't watch Billy the Kid and the Green Bay's Vampire. Play the trailer. I drive a job you love. I'm an ordinary creature. Bloody telly where bloody snookers bloody going. To the bloody dogs. What about Billy Kid? You have mentioned the unmentionable. I can take that old van bag anytime. He could be the next world champion. I'm gonna rip his out. We feel this little misunderstanding should be settled on the table. Billy the Kid and the Green Bay Vampire. It's a horror musical. I've seen a few, but there is not one that rates highly at all for me. Not one. Don't give me a Rocky Horror Picture Show's. Don't give me your Phantoms of the Paradise. All right, you can give me your Buffy the Vampire Slayer once more with feeling. I'll give you that. But this one, it just seems all very stage school production, regardless of the quality of the casting. The songs themselves, they're pretty dire. As for the story, it dwells upon the tale of a snooker match between a vampire and the guy that sings Park Life. My advice... You should cut down on your vamp life, mate. Get some exercise. So yeah, all those, avoid them like the plague. And what plague you choose, that's up to you. Just avoid them. Watching these 10 films was The Pits. Okay, you've just had to deal with the worst 10 horror movies that I had to sit through for this episode of the 1985 A Year in Horror podcast. Now this next lot, whilst I can't actually recommend them to you, as I didn't actually love any of them, they're all at least watchable, and that doesn't usually happen when you're on this first tier of the also runs. So here's what I reckon, just strap in, be prepared for the almost okay horror movies that surface this year. And what a weird bunch they are. We're starting off with The Hills Have Eyes Part 2. This is the one where Wes Craven needed cash, so we compiled this trash together with a load of the best bits from the original movie just to pad out the running time. And also there is a new not-so-great story that acts as a sequel of sorts, it's not Wes Craven's best work, but it is still superior to that 2010 My Soul to Take that he put out. I can't believe we've had two Wes Craven movies that are both crappy in one year. Come on, 1985. Following this is Godzilla 1985, and it does all the usual Godzilla things, and the human characters do all those human things that happen in almost every Godzilla movie that came out before it and came out after it. Better than that, though, 
is Blackout. And Blackout is a made-for-TV fright fest. And sadly, this one concentrates on the police procedural aspects way more than the horror aspects. Plus, having a knife-wielding killer in a gimp mask as a front and centerpiece on your movie poster. It's just not very fair. It's not cricket when there's just pretty much 20 seconds of gimp action in the film. Right, let's do it. Next up, we have an anthology movie called Night Train to Terror. But I'm not going to just stumble my way through this one with quick bullet points. We need some expertise. And to bring it is my good buddy and now podcast regular, Choff. Choff is a musician. He's a hard rock and metal promoter in Bournemouth. And we last heard him on A Year in Horror. He was banging on about the Dawn of the Dead remake in the 2004 Big Hitter. And today we are discussing this almost broken yet somehow oddly addictive Night Train to Terror movie. What can I do for you, Mr. Satan? The train crashes at dawn. Right on schedule. The night porter will see to everything. Mr. Satan. Chof, welcome back to the podcast. Pleasure. Now, I initially watched Night Train to Terror and gave it such a low rating, such a low score, and I just thought, what a waste of time. I don't understand what's going on at all. Of course, I didn't read up about it, what was actually going on, and I just moved on to the next thing. And when you chose this, I was like, what is he up to? <laughs> Literally, what what are you doing? I thought, all right, we'll give it another go. And I quite enjoyed it this time around. Hopefully, you didn't choose this one just to rinse on it and make me feel stupid. But yeah, Night Train to Terror. I mean, why why this one? I just I love it. I mean, I, I really I really love it. I've always been a big fan of anthologies, and uh, I know when I was young, I started with like the Amicus stuff, like um, House of Drip Blood, and. Uh, Obviously, you have Tales from the Crypts. I can't remember that's Hammer Amicus, but I used to watch those a lot when I was a kid. The like the short stories, the anthology, three stories in one film. I just love like the range of stuff that it gave you. I mean, they're the classics, and I graduated onto like the underground eighties horror. And um, I remember when I was doing a lot of tape trading in the late eighties, like VHS tape trading in the early nineties. Uh, a mate of mine did me um, German Chainsaw Massacre with this um compilation clip on the end and it was like half an hour of like the most extreme parts of films like gore scenes and i was watching through it and i just thought you know it's just the same i thought it was called, it was called extreme gore clips or something i think it was doing the rounds on the tape trading and um there's like one scene which i just i've never seen before and it was actually from night train to terror and it was from the Death Wish Club segment, or I think it's called the case of Greta Cousins. I think the second Connors. One. Connors, that's it. Um, I was I always refer to it as the three films it's made out of rather than what they say is in the yeah. film because <laughs> yeah. that's just me. But yeah, in this extreme clip section, there's this compilation on this pirate video I got like you know, probably ninety-one, maybe. There was this like this this bit of film of this this couple making out in a garden and this really ropey looking insect that was obviously claymation done to the lowest standard yes. lands on this guy's face stings him and his base is just cheek implodes and it's just all hell breaks loose 
and it was so badly done i just thought i've got to track this film down and see that's what that's from and um i had a friend over in in berkshire used to do this tape training with he goes yeah that's not trying to terror i'll uh i'll send you a copy of the dutch version because if you go for the english uh release it was on like a really shoddy low budget video label so i don't think it was wizard but it was something really really bad that they just <laughs> put out heavily edited films just to get them out there and, and make some cash um but he sent me a a uh a, a copy of the the dutch uncut release and i was just like i just i, just, I couldn't really work out what was going on to be honest Correct. When i first watched it <laughs> I mean, obviously, because it's it's basically an example of the Franken film, where the director wants to cash in on something, and they'll acquire the rights to three films that have either been released before or they're not quite finished, and they'll splice them together, and they'll sort of release them out to the mainstream to make a bit of quick cash. Um, and for me, I just I just love that concept, and even though. <laughs> Like the first segment, Scream Your Head Off, which is the unfinished film, Scream Your Head Off, or the case of Henry Billings. It's it's so, so unfinished that the actual, that segment of the film doesn't really make any sense. Um, <laughs> yes. But, but there's something about it. It's just, I mean, even the interlocking segments between, the interlocking segments between the three sort of sh- short stories, you know, where you've got God and Satan having a conversation on this train and next door, you've got this pop group rehearsing their their latest single, and yes. basically that interlocking segment is them going on the journey to the to the afterlife. This pop group going to get wiped out towards the end, apparently. And uh, just some of the dialogue—I mean, the dialogue is so bad, it's unbelievable. And each of the the three stories are just terrible. But the guy who directed it just filmed all this extra gore to put in there splice in between the different ah, stories right okay so if you watch the original films individually so you've got scream your head off which is the first part case of henry billings that was like a 1981 film that was unfinished they bought the rights cheap to you got the second segment which is the, the case of greta connors or death wish club that was actually a 1983 film and if you watch that film as a standalone film before you watch night train to terror it's really boring there's nothing in it because nice. all, the gore, all the gore was created by the director of Night Train to Terror to bolster it up a bit. And um, I was going to ask not, you that. Yeah, it's uh, and then just the third one, Cataclysm, or it's called Nightmare Never Ends. It has been released since on the Troma DVD label. Um, that was the case of Claire. Oh, that's the third one. Can't remember. Uh, Claire Hansen. Claire Hansen. That's it. That was like a 1980 film. And again, that had extra footage spliced into it to kind of spice it up a little bit. So it's, it's a perfect example of a Franken film. That's that's what they call it. I didn't know that. I'm glad I do. And I get it. Um, I, I'm i going to talk to you about each section. Uh, we'll start with the wraparound. I've not done a uh, portmanteau film or... An anthology movie. I've not done one before on the podcast, so I didn't know how to even approach it. So I reckon we should do each each bit. We don't need to go into too much detail, but people need to to view this. Like I was thinking, I bet you've seen the original films as well, being like a collector in the day. And I was wondering if they were actually any cop or if this film as the 
has got like the best of it all and it's sort of you know because it's much more well known yeah i mean i didn't manage i, I managed to track down two of them um but screen your head off like the first segment the original film the unfinished one from 81 is really hard to get a hold of or it was I mean, the VHS, the original, which was like an NTSC, used to, you know, trade for a lot of cash. Um, so right. I've only ever seen like a, like a first-generation copy of it from the tape training days. But it's quite interesting. It's got um, John Philip Law is a guy who plays Henry Billings, and he was in a really bad uh, film called Space Mutiny that used to be featured a lot on Mystery Science Theatre. Right. Um, a really, really bad sci-fi film and just, just shit. I mean, it's just unbelievably bad. Um, but he sort of pops up as a lead character. Um, but because the original film, Scream Hellfield, is, is so unfinished, the majority of what you see is is actually in Night Train to Terror. Um, it's just that Night, the, the director of Night Train to Terror just added loads more gore and boobs and, uh, yeah, just like loads of uh, stuff that you really, you want to see as an inspiring horror addict. I mean, it's, it's not a horrendous film, but it's not particularly exciting. I would probably say that all three segments, if you watch them standalone, are okay, but they're not that exciting. We'll get there because there's, I mean, there's one of them I really fucking like, really like, but it isn't Harry Billings. So um, the the thing that got me through that that segment was Richard Mole. And I know yeah. him from playing Big Ben in House. Like that's where yeah. I reckon, I was like, where do I know this face? Straight on IMDb. Like, where was he from? And then it clicked. And I was like, oh man, I love that guy. Uh, yeah, so I enjoyed watching him in it. But what I found was the issue with it, knowing that it had been butchered from a film that wasn't even completed, was the cut sometime was so fast. It didn't let me catch up to know I didn't get it. So you, when that happens with a normal film, you sort of trust the director a bit to like, it's all going to make sense down the line. Don't you worry. Trust this director. And you can't trust this film for a second. You take your mind off it, you're fucked. You are screwed. <laughs> so, and of course, I'm like looking out for this guy and I'm thinking, oh, hang on, I've missed 10 scenes. That happened in the last two minutes. <laughs> so, absolutely lost with it. Any standouts from this one for you? No, first segment. First segment. Um, <laughs> You're scratching your head. I don't know. If I remember right, it's, there's, yeah, there's, isn't there, there's some, some guy gets his, I think the lead, I can't, I think it's Richard Mole, the, the, the bad dude. Get, I think, does he get his head blown off? Yeah. No, hot, it's sort of smashed off at the end. That's um, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, he gets beheaded uh, and it looks awful, but it's really good. I really love it. It was, I have to admit, that first segment is one that I kind of skip through when I watch it because I just can't make any sense out of it. <laughs> it's, just, it's not really for viewing pleasure. It's uh, I, I will skip to the second segment for me. So well, The thing, you sort of can understand where it's going or what it's trying to do, but it gives you no reason as to why now uh, that the lead is has been brainwashed and he's now going to be... Uh, drugging and kidnapping women. It doesn't make any sense as to why that is. You can just see it on the screen play out. Um, yeah. And he doesn't enjoy any of it anyway, but you don't see like what hold they've got over him. It's just, it's, it's excruciating to watch. So yeah, you can imagine on my very first watch, 
I'm like, what? Sorry, what? And then we're already on to the next thing. And like, I see the amount of time left and I'm thinking, right, there's loads of time left on this film. So why didn't they extend it? Clearly, it, that was all they had. So, right. It's, it's just really disjointed, isn't it? I mean, it's disjointed. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's half an hour of disjointedness, without a doubt. Why kick your film off with it? I don't know. But I guess they don't really, because as you say, you've got the band and like, I don't even need to like have the song in my head. Just reading the words, dance with me, dance with me is enough to make me know this song back to front. I'm going to play a little bit of it here. There you go. So that there you go. Now that will be in your head forever. Um, and to me, it sounds like a Billy Idol song. Like I can just picture Billy Idol singing it and it being like a big hit in 85 or something like that. But instead, what we've got is the most bizarre looking sort of... Do you remember in the 80s? I'm sure you do. Your mum would get a catalogue uh, and you would get your clothes from it and all the like most fashionable bits, the bits that were slightly too expensive and you wouldn't want to be wearing that anyway. That's what they were wearing. It was all fresh catalogue picks. And I don't know, there's something odd about it that <laughs> is really compelling. And it's like one of my favourite things in the whole film. It's just bizarre. What a choice. And it feels like it's just a band that this guy has like got some contacts with maybe and said, yeah, you can have the song in, in the film. It will pad out this time. Lovely. Uh, and we'll get you to crash and burn at the end. Um, do you know anything more about this band? Uh, do you know what? I, I, I researched it um, just to <laughs> find out about a bit more. I was watching, but there's not really a lot of information. About I that bet band. there's not. <laughs> uh, apart from the fact I heard the Marshall Ward, the catalogue company, shows some interest in them after the film came out. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I heard. But no, just, I mean, as a, like an interlocking scene between the, the, you know, different segments, a lot of people find that more entertaining than the actual films themselves. So a lot of people always, ref, you know, reference that, you know, the, the God versus Satan chat. It's great. What a yeah. great little setup for uh, for an anthology film, though. It's it's uh, as better than a lot of the Amicus, I think. It's yeah. such a clever little idea. Yeah, it's just uh, some of the dialogue could definitely be improved upon. <laughs> yes. <But> when, <laughs> I think one of the one of the uh, the train guards comes into the the booth where God and Satan are chatting, and he just come he just goes to the guy who plays Satan. What can I do for you, Mister Satan? I mean, that's like the line of dialogue. <laughs> it's just the best. I tried to get that into a work call at some point during the week, <laughs> but I never can find something to put in Satan. It just doesn't work at work. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, best not to do that. Um, yeah. <laughs> definitely. Well, yeah, so there we go. I'm really happy with that wraparound, and it sort of kept me together on the second watch because I remembered what was coming for the next bit. So... The case of Greta Connors. Now, now this, yeah. I'm not going to lie to you. 
I thought this was incredible on my second watch. Um, you mentioned that bug effect. I, I understand it looks crap, but I miss that sort of crap. That yeah. it was wonderful. It's so good, and like I know it's meant to be tense. And it never is tense. I'm never worried for anybody on the screen. Don't, that doesn't happen. But I, I sort of, you know, that sort of Luke Skywalker thing in Empire Strikes Back where he puts his hands behind his head and just goes, yeah, like that, when he gets the kiss. It's a bit like that. Like, this is a kiss from Carrie Fisher. Like, it was so good to watch this segment. And that's why I was really interested. Is this film any good? Um, like, what a good idea with the Deaf Club as well. Like, what's your memories of this? When did you first actually, like, sit down with some friends? How old were you watching this thing? Well, look, me and my friends were quite involved in the whole tow training thing. And uh, every sort of um, Friday, Saturday night, every few weeks, we get together and have, like, a shit film night and just dig up any crap that we'd uncovered on VHS from trading from people throughout the UK. And, uh, like I said, that, that bug clip surfaced on that compilation. Yeah. And I tr we tracked down like trains of terror through my mate in, in Berkshire. And we all sat down, three of us, to watch this night train to terror, the uncut version, of course. Of course. And uh I remember I was I was, I was sipping some Canadian club whiskey watching it, because <laughs> I was quite cultured like that back then. <laughs> and um yeah, just when that when that segment kicks in, man, I think the but the bug the bug sequence really got me turned on to want and wanted to find and track down this film. But for me, the, um, the sequence in that segment is the, the death machine when they're all sitting around in like the, the horseshoe plugged into this death machine. Um, the reason why it resonates is that it kind of reminds me as a much, much harsher version. It's not really related, but it reminds me of the, of the sequence in never say never again with, James Bond, uh, Sean Connery playing James Bond, and he's playing. Uh, it's like it's almost like that that war game that he's playing with um, Claus Maria Brandau, the, the bad guy. And it's you know they're getting like further electric shocks, however deep they get into the game, and um, that's like the tame version of it. And I watched Death Wish Club the segment, and it sort of took me back to that feeling I had as a kid watching that James Bond film. Like, there's this fucking machine that's going to kill you. Uh, except this time in Deathwish Club, it's all about chance and these six random strangers just sitting around waiting to basically get frazzled. And uh, <laughs> it's got the all-time classic line from the uh, the black guy with the headband when he, he just turns around and he knows it's him. Turns around and goes, excuse me while I smoke. <laughs> and then you get, like, that ridiculous 30-second scene of him just getting absolutely fried beyond belief and uh i remember turning around to my mate saying don't see that a lot in films nowadays do you <laughs> just like just just comic book horror violence it's just just amazing i'll never forget that scene yeah i agree it's so yeah. arnold schwarzenegger that line isn't it it's so so, or even no, Freddy Krueger wouldn't stoop that low. That was a, that's a Schwarzenegger line. So it's it's the it's the <laughs> the phrase so bad it's good. I mean that's what the film nights were about for me back then as a teenager, and I'll never forget that that segment. No, especially that scene. That was just just genius. I would have freaked out a bit if I was watching it uh, as a young guy because the, the, it's not that they 
are scared by this. They're encouraging it. They love the risk. It turns them on. That's what it is. I might die any moment. Let's do this. Uh, the thrill of surviving, the thrill of dying. They don't care. So nihilistic. <laughs> it's really awesome. <laughs> like, it would have freaked me out, honestly, as a kid. I would be like, I don't like this at all. <laughs> Where's the joy in this? <sighs> right, okay. Um, there, there's this... Oh, I've, other... just got, I've just got to say that the, the original Death Wish, Death Wish Club film is really fucking boring. So just stick with my train to terror. It's bad. I've got it on like VHS, NTSC, and I wish I hadn't bought it, to be honest. I didn't need oh, to buy it. But I think you actually get that as an... They, they really, Vinegar Syndrome re-released this on on definitely DVD, I'm not sure about Blu-ray, and they included the original Death Wish Club film as an extra. Ah. Um, but I wouldn't worry about it. It's, it's terrible. <laughs> I, I, I will remember that. Yeah. Don't you worry. Fuck. Okay, this there's another another death scene in this, uh, and this is the one that I would not want to be a part of, with the swinging <laughs> boulder ball um, that could fall on anybody's head and squish them up. And like I, you know, like you get these sort of films, like especially like a decade or two decades ago, that that were running on the riff of the Final Destination. How are you going to die? That sort of thing. Uh, and here it is in this like no name film from 83 it's so mad um but it's the same sort of deal it's like well let's watch some crazy deaths i wish it was longer i wish it was more it's a shame that it's just it is like we've already seen the best of if we we're watching this film so it's a pretty crazy scene that and uh yeah it's uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, someone does get taken out at the end it's quick and even though we know it's just hokey crap it's still quite brutal where they just someone gets a, a massive rock dropped on them whilst they're tied up in the sleeping bag. So, you know, I don't even ask much more from a Zed Grain film than that, to be honest. No, no, you couldn't. I would say to anyone out there, uh, my personal take on it, this film is worth tracking down for that segment. Yeah, now, definitely. Segment, of the, the, the final segment here, The Case of Claire Hansen, a.k.a. Cataclysm, 1980, as you've said, now, this is the one, you say part one's hard to piece together. I was just, what is going on? There is Nazi dreams going on. Uh, uh, and I thought, I'm right, I pulled in here because I like horror, uh, especially from this era that features sort of like Nazi stuff. Um, I, I love Nazis getting their comeuppance. Brilliant. This, I'm in here. And then I just get lost again. Richard Mole turns up again uh, in this. Um What's going on here? Do you know? Can you help? You tell me, man. I don't know. <laughs> I think I think the basic gist of it is there's this um, like demon or Satan's right hand man. He comes down uh, and he tries to. Uh, do you know what? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know. I, I, I even watched like the the original film, and um, I still didn't quite know what was going on. Um, all I know is that. I, I much prefer the bits that the director's not trying to tear put in those little claymation demon things that yes. pulls that 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 reverend down or the vicar down into the ground into hell. But it's so badly done. I mean, even you know, an episode of Morph is better than that. That sort of effects they got in there, just terrible effects, man. I mean, but that's that's what I love about the whole film is just the effects are so bad they're good. But in terms of plot. You tell me, man. I don't know. 
Okay. All right. I've been I've been told off recently. Stop focusing on the plot when I've been talking about the Gates of Hell trilogy. I'm like, no, yeah. no, come on. What's going? And they're like, forget it. That's nothing to do with this. Why are you thinking that way? So I'm starting to write. Stop focusing on the plot, Paul. For goodness sake. But still, I expect a semblance of something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, right. Okay. So we then finish the film. And thank goodness it goes back to the dance with me, dance with me. Yep, great. Okay, and uh, the whole thing ends in 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 glory. I would say. Anything we've missed about this that you want to mention before we go into sort of other anthologies you could recommend us? Only only thing I'll say is that even though the third segment, um, the case of Claire Hansen or Cackers, whatever you want to call it, the ending is really bleak. And you know, just in case no one's watched this piece of celluloid glory yeah um i won't go into it but it's it's quite a bleak ending which i loved about it and that's all i'll say because you haven't seen it before you it'll spoil it so but okay, yeah well, I, I just i just i just love it man i love it <laughs> love that I, i'll tell you what i'm glad that you chose it because i, I think i was so discombobulated by part one and part three that i wasn't truly focused when it finished on part two I was just so annoyed with what I'd watched because I didn't get it and coming back to it I could actually just like oh do you know as I say that little chef's kiss thing is so good <laughs> I so loved it and it's it, every now and again you will get one of these anthologies that just has a, a segment in it that you love to death like creep show two for me surely yeah creep right show two, the raft. That, yeah, that segment, oh, it kills me. I love it so much. Amazing, Rest of the film, amazing. whatever, it's okay. Yeah, the other, the other two bookend segments are just, you know, Chief Wooden Top and is it the Hitchhiker guy? Yeah. G-Lady Thanks the Ride, that's the only line I remember out of that segment. But that middle on the raft, it's just it's just really quite quite shocking when you see it for the first time. It, it, it still hurts today. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right, so any other recommendations uh, from you with regards to anthologies? I can certainly tell you one to avoid uh, rather than waste your time with it. Even better. Actually there's, actually, there's three, and I expect these three have got quite a few fans somewhere, but uh, I watched The Willies, which has got uh, the guy from The Goonies and Lord of the Rings in, uh, Sean. Oh, the Lord of the Rings Sean, guy. Sean Aston. Yeah, he's like plays Lee role, and that is... That's just one one of the most boring films I've ever watched. Uh, the Willies, so avoid that one. The Willies sounds great. Yeah, Come on, the, the Willies. Willies. Yeah. yeah, it sounds great, doesn't it? You watch it, see what you reckon. Okay. <laughs> no, so I didn't warn you. Sold. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Freaky Fairy Tales, that was a terrible anthology. That was so low budget, that made my train to terror. Look like a, a, you know, a very well, a very well-funded film. <laughs> Freaky Fairy Tales, just terrible, man. Um, and the other one, Campfire Tales, that was really boring. I don't think anything will ever be Night Train to Terror for me in terms of enjoyability, in terms of an anthology. Just just love that, man. Holds I, a special place in my heart. I'm amazed at that. I really am. Um, do you think it is nostalgia that will sort of put that above, like, the creep shows um, and the, the trick-or-treat sort of things, those couple of real big ones just off the top of my head from recent times, mm. when I say recent times, the last... 50 years i guess but yeah. you know um like 
because they're like the standard or if you want to go back to the 40s i think dead of night would be like one, yeah one of the first ones um but this one is such a low level one do you think it's nostalgia or do you actually think well actually come on it's got some some semblance of greatness here i think for me it was the the concept of this this whole franken film that that kind of thing appeals to me that they're sort of just took these three films that weren't particularly well known and made them even well less known so you know <laughs> I, just, I just i just love the concept i love like the underground 80s stuff i mean yeah there's, there's been some good anthologies felt like the vhs uh series of anthologies the first one was great a few after that weren't so good but i still watch them because they're anthologies and also is it uh southbound or south towns i can't remember oh, yeah reason. that one was great was it southbound i, can't I think it, it is called. southbound yeah yeah all on that, the motorway or really a highway. Yeah, that's the one, yeah. I thought that was really good in terms of anthologies. Um, so you do occasionally get a good a good one come through, but on the whole, a lot of them can be quite forgettable. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Something about Nitro Terror just does it for me every time. Man. And I'm, I'm going to get a quicker, not, not a bragging thing, so you can put this up quite lately, but if you're into your underground 80s horror, you've got to get Nightmare USA. The book is just like the Bible of underground 80s horror. It's the best thing you can buy. And uh, I think you can get it like a hardback edition now, pretty cheap. So got to get that if you're into the stuff we've been talking about. I don't actually think Night Train to Terror is in there, which is an absolute crime. But that's like the one of the things to go for. I'm sure people have got it already, but it was deleted for ages. Yeah, it's done by uh, Stephen Thrower. And uh, yeah, it's just like the best book for horror out there. Got it. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, there we go. That's something for me to do afterwards. <laughs> Thank cool. you very much. <laughs> There you have it, Night Train to Terror. A big thank you goes out to Chaw for picking such an oddball selection. We'll definitely be coming back to him in another year and another time because he always goes for them niche picks. Very strange, very strange man. But now, back on with the rundown for the also rans. And up next, better than that, better than Night Train to Terror, better than that, well, it's Blood Tracks. And this one is sort of fun. A glam band, it goes up into the mountains to film a video, but they disturb it like a Hills Have Eyes type family that come ready built into the film with this cool little backstory. It's not a masterpiece for sure. Uh, the ending definitely outstays its welcome by around 10 minutes, uh, but it is trashy. It's a low budget nightmare. It's got a lot going for it, this one. Yeah, that's Blood Tracks. Uh, better than that though, is The Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf. <laughs> It's the rocking, shocking, new way of horror. Howling 2. Howling 2. 
falling too. It's not over yet. And when I came to this, I just thought, oh God, another werewolf movie. And I still feel the same. I'm just not a werewolf fan. And this is a sequel to one that I just didn't love from the start. This, though, is just as watchable as that previous effort and for wildly different reasons. Uh, I think also this may be the most unsexy, horny film ever. Unless, unless it was just meant to be played for laughs, in which case, fair play, you've won. Well done. But that's just it. I don't know what tone this movie is shooting for. None of it fits with just anything that's been established before or since. It feels like a complete horror anomaly. Um, and I've made that sound like a ton of fun. And it's just not. It's not as much fun as that would suggest, unfortunately. Stop making werewolf films, 1980s. Stop it. And improving on that formula, but not much, is Ghoulies. And the letterbox synopsis of this one says, A young man and his girlfriend move into the man's old mansion home, where he becomes possessed by a need to control ancient demons. And full cards on the table. As a 15-year-old, I fucking loved this film, uh, but I couldn't really remember it. I do remember I used to draw ghoulies on the uh, sort of text workbooks that you get at school. I was banging to them, but yeah, I couldn't remember it at all. So I was really looking forward to coming back to it. And sadly, it doesn't stand the test of time. It's just no critters. And finally, the mess of the episode. And some do find this a flawed classic. And I will admit, I did enjoy loads of the sci-fi, space vampire lunacy. But this one is just overlong. It's difficult to keep up with. At some points, there is so much to deal with on the screen that it gives me a headache. Of course, I'm talking about Toby Hooper's crazy film called Life Force. And yeah, that's it. That's the end of the first batch of the also runs. Thank the good horror lord that that's over with. my youth i was a horror vhs nut i had a job stripping potatoes for a fish and chip shop and for each dustbin full of potatoes that i would get all the eyes out and strip off all of the skin for each dustbin full that i would prepare i would get a 10 pound note i knew at the end of the week that i'd have at least 100 pound in my pocket and i would just head to our price in town and stack up on records and horror movies I had loved the very first Nightmare on Elm Street movie to the point where, at that time, it was my very favourite film of all time. I absolutely loved it. I could quote you every line in every scene by the time that I was legally old enough to watch it. But then, because I couldn't locate number two, I just couldn't get it anywhere. I opted to just jump straight into part three, Dream Warriors. Again, I was bowled over. This was a horror film with added fantasy elements and it was still scary. Of course, I flipping loved it. And I was so hyped that on my next payday, I went to the big city. Well, the big city for me anyway. I went to Canterbury. And on the hunt for Nightmare on Elm Street 2, I was. Now, Canterbury, it had a massive owl price compared to my regular one that was in Margate. And of course, when we got there, there it was. So I bought it, got on the bus back home. You know, when you're so excited, you're reading all the gumph on it, 
front to back. Absolutely could not wait to get home. It went straight into my Toshiba. And would you believe it? I was gutted. This was not the Freddy film that I was hoping for. There were some key scenes. There was some brutal stuff in there. There was some fun stuff. I did dig parts of it. But that whole swimming pool party set up, it didn't play very well for me. Even with my developing horror mind at that point, I wasn't that bothered. And Wes Craven actually nailed my thoughts in 1988 with an interview with Cine Fantastique. Uh, he said the following, I didn't like the second script. I thought it was a silly script. There was not a clear-cut hero who remained intact and Freddy coming out of the hero really violated the viewer's ability to identify with him. I suggested they make the girl across the street the hero. I thought it would have been much wiser to make her the central character. I also thought that they brought Freddy much too much into the realm of reality and put him into situations where he was diminished. You want Freddy to always be threatening, always be overpowering, but that was not the case when he was running around the swimming pool with a bunch of teenagers who are all bigger than he is. He starts to look really silly. Now, over the years, I've come back to this one a few times and I've grown to like it. It was only when people actually started to call it the gay one, this is the queer one, that I went back and uh, with a completely different attitude. I didn't see it before. I wish I could explain to you how I missed this, but I just didn't. And it's everywhere. I started to really like it for being so blatantly against the grain for the time it came out. In fact, if you're interested in that whole homoerotic subtext, uh, well, even text, then Tyler Jensen and Roman Chimenti, 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 probably Chimenti, uh, they put together this great documentary and it was called Screen Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street. And that really works as a fantastic compendium to this film. So yeah, my number 10 is A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. Someone is coming back to Elm Street. He is not friendly. He is not patient. Kill for me. And he is not a welcome visitor. No! 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 But he has something terribly special for the new kid on the block. It started to happen again. Trouble. You've had some scary dreams, okay? Help! Daddy can't help you now. There's something inside him. <laughs> Fight him! You are not afraid of him. He doesn't even exist. Freddy Krueger is back on Elm Street. Get out of here, Lisa! Jesse, fight him! Watch out for him. He'll be in your neighborhood soon. A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 2. You are all my children now. Freddy's Revenge. <laughs> A new family moves into the house on Elm Street, and before long, the kids are again having nightmares about deceased child murderer Freddy Krueger. This time, Freddy attempts to possess a teenage boy to cause havoc in the real world and can only be overcome if the boy's sweetheart can master her fear. And it is that sweetheart that is my MVP. Now, 
I guess if I've got to ask this question, the answer is yes. But I think I'm being a twat. Am I being a twat here? By saying that the female lead in this one, Kim Myers, she blows me away. Not particularly anything to do with her acting skills, but it's just the fact that she looks so much like a young Meryl Streep in this. It takes me out of the film every single time I see a scene with her in it. And I sort of love this film for that fact. At the point when I was young, it was my only in. I can't get over how close they look to each other. So yeah, a bit of a twat thing, a bit of a weird reason to really love a film. But that was it, and it still happens now. I'm completely taken out, completely amazed. And I guess it's just another oddball thing to do with this movie. In her career, she's mainly worked in television, but there is one genre flick that I want to mention. Well, I guess I've got to mention the big one, the franchise entry in her filmography. It is Hellraiser Bloodline. Now, that definitely isn't the worst of the Hellraiser sequels, um, but, you know, it's not great. But here we go. She is also in a straight-to-video effort that I haven't checked out yet, and it's called The Sitter, and it's from 1991. Now, that one has become very high on my list. I cannot wait to see it because the front cover looks proper crap, and I love proper crap covers. And by the looks of it, she's also got the lead role in this thing. I know there is good times ahead. So yeah, my MVP for the oddest of reasons is Kim Myers. Now, for all that has been said positively and negatively about Freddy's Revenge, I can happily say that I properly enjoyed listening to Christopher Young's score front to back. Maybe a stack of my enjoyment is triggered by nostalgia, but, you know, fuck it. Whatever makes this thing great, it just makes it great. It's still great whether it's based on that or not. And with the soundtrack to part two, it's all about the traditional spooky, slow, mist flowing across a graveyard kind of ambience that this thing is full of. Uh, and the screechy strings that punctuate all this, and I mean all of it, it's proper creepy. I particularly love the track called Demented Bird, which is just this cacophony of strings that build and build and build until bursting point and just sort of peters out at the last moment. If I'm being honest, I think this score is better. Not just better, though. Way better than the original Nightmare on Elm Street film. And I also quite like that soundtrack. This one, though, it just makes me feel icky and scared. And it's spooky all the time. It's really, really good. Um, 
What else can I say about this? Christopher Young, he's also worked on some truly great scores. And I'm just going to tell you that some of the ones that I love from the 80s. So we got the likes of The Dawn That Dripped Blood, Defcon 4. Now, regardless of what you think of that film, the score is just awesome on that one. Uh, Invaders from Mars. He also did the incidental score music from one of my favourite B-movies from 1986 called Trick or Treat. Also, he did the skewed soundtrack from Flowers in the Attic, if you know that film. But the all-time killer, the all-time amazing soundtrack from Hellraiser. That's him. And the sequel, he is genius. I really like the cut of Christopher Young's jib. And where can you watch this film? Well, if you're in the UK, you can catch it on Virgin TV Go. And in the USA, it's currently on HBO Max. But do yourself a favour. This is what I say. Do yourself a favour. Why don't you just buy the Nightmare on Elm Street box set? Uh, It's got all of them on there. You'll be full not to. It's dirt cheap. It always is. They're a real interesting bunch of films. And yeah, at the very least, the worst one is interesting. And there are two 10 out of 10 belters in there. Two of them. As for podcasts, right. Well, I think if you want to get involved with some heavy podcasting action, then Halloweenies, they did a real deep, deep dive in March of 2019 and one of the very first podcasts that I ever did here ever 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 was from Horror Movie Nights and they take on Freddy's Revenge and that came out in February 2017 but as I say the documentary called Screen Queen My Nightmare on Elm Street that one that I mentioned earlier that is a good enough bedfellow just watch the film and watch that and you'll be happy. And there we go. Number 10 is the Freddy Krueger sequel we all love to hate or hate to love. And either way, you're okay with me. I was reluctant to include this in the horror rundown. Probably because this movie would 100% fit into the science fiction category, but maybe 5% into the horror category. So there's a big discrepancy there. But you know me, everything's horror. I think that it's here because there's nothing else quite like it on this list at all. And there is this heavy weight around it. There is a frailty of the human condition on the screen as you watch it. It explores topics such as the end of existence, of loneliness, of jealousy. And for a lot of this film, I jump between thinking, what would be the point of anything at all if I was in this situation? And also, that was juxtaposed with, wouldn't this be brilliant if I was in this situation? Think of a film like I Am Legend, but it's from New Zealand, and you're sort of halfway there. And that is all I am going to say about the plot of this thing. This movie is massively underseen. It is a complete gem. And even though I did see it just a couple of years ago for the first time, it has stuck with me for ages and ages. So my number nine pick is Jeff Murphy's. And yeah, it is that Jeff Murphy. That's the one that done the sequels to Under Siege and Young Guns, that guy. This is The Quiet Earth. At 6.12, precisely. 
Isaac Hobson died, and the earth fell silent. Isaac Hobson, July 5th. One, there has been a malfunction in Project Flashlight with devastating results. Two, it seems I am the only person left on it. If the oscillations in the sun continue to increase at the present rate, the sun must collapse in a few days. If there is anybody out there at all, could you please contact me at home? are a waste of time. You reckon the grid is balanced? Okay. We take the scene down, the grid collapses. The end of the world is just the beginning. After a top secret experiment misfires, a scientist may be the only man left alive in the world. Now, I do have an MVP here, but this is slightly different. The lead in this movie is Bruno Lawrence, and he plays someone called Zach Hobson. And I was so buzzing after watching this, and in particular his performance, that I instantly went on IMDb and I wanted to track any other horror movie that he was in. Now I found Death Warmed Up, and that came out in 1984. The rating on Letterboxd, it told me that it was pretty low, it was like 2.8 out of 5 or something, just below 3. But I often will take that with a pinch of salt, because... I do tend to like a lot of movies that aren't rated very highly on Letterboxd. So I just gave it a punt. And I don't think, <laughs> when I watch this, that I've hated a movie more from the off. And it just didn't improve throughout its running time. In fact, the very first ever big hitter episode that we did on A Year in Horror was 1984. Uh, and this film, Death Warmed Up, made the very worst movie of that year. And I've looked at my notes for that very fateful watching. Uh, and it says, awful blackface, complete horseshit, racist scene with the corner shop owner. I hate this. That's it. That's all it says. There's nothing more. Wow.
For the Quiet Earth, the music was composed and conducted by John Charles. It was performed by the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra, and it's a fully classical score, and it's something that we just didn't get much of during 1985's horror sessions. So this deep dive was pretty much symphony orchestra-free until you get to the really big-budget stuff. And I have to admit, it does lend this film a lot of gravitas. It truly elevates this from being a B-movie to a B-movie with just grand ideas and scope. The music itself, it ranges from bright and playful on occasion to sombre and desolate. There is a real feel of longing in places, but more often than not, we just land somewhere in the middle and the strings evoke the idea of like vast landscapes and desert plains. And I think a lot of this would work really well in a Western, to be honest. Regardless, this plays out perfectly for The Quiet Earth as well. It just plays with that idea that there is nothing out there. I do have an issue with it though, and it is a purely horror-based issue. There is no terror within this score. Some of the imagery and themes in this movie can be horrific, and the soundtrack never, ever reflects it. In fact, when I feel on edge with what I'm watching on the screen, the music almost pushes me away from that. It wants me to feel inquisitive and just insist that I investigate the scene rather than just let the themes wash over me. And that may sound odd for me to push this agenda into a soundtrack, but with a few changes, and there'll be subtle changes just here and there, both on the screen and with the score, I think that The Quiet Earth will be known as like a Kiwi horror classic rather than an underseen science fiction also ran. And where can you watch this? Well, the Arrow Blu-ray is where I saw it. It is incredible, as usual, but... Um, it's also on Arrow Player in the UK, I think it is. It is when you go over to the US of A, then you can stream this for free, just like pretty much everywhere. It's on Tubi, Hoopla, Voodoo, Canopy, Redbox, Arrow, Plex, and something called Film Movement. It's all over the place. As for podcasts, forget about it. What usually happens with these lower seen ones is that people, when they do a podcast, they know that that one isn't going to get many listens and they might put it on the back burner. I have heard a few podcasts where they mention this in passing, but they never go into deep dives with it. I hope that's not the reason because I, th I feel like podcasts are a really great way to introduce people to films. That's really worked for me and I hope I've done that a little bit with you guys here. Uh, I really do recommend this. It's my number nine pick for 2015. It's The Quiet Earth. Number eight in my favourite horror movies from 1985 
is a movie where a Mickey Mouse t-shirt is visible on a character for most of the entire movie. I can only imagine that this has contributed to the reason why it has been so hard for me to grab a copy of the movie over the past few years. This one is in a jungle setting, but it takes a different angle from so many of the other cannibal films, and especially the Italian cannibal films of the time. And also, this one, whilst definitely horror, it leans heavily on the action genre to get most of its kicks. It also seems to tap into war movies. It really has this Apocalypse Now vibe. Well, let's just say it really wants to have that Apocalypse Now vibe. Of course, it isn't as successful in its execution as any of those films that have laid that groundwork for it. But as a jungle-based B-movie... I was just utterly content with this one from the off. It's from director Ruggiero Diodato, the man that made Cannibal Holocaust and House on the Edge of the Park. This is Cut and Run. Civilization has introduced countless evils to this mysterious jungle, but not terror. Because here, Terror was born. And here, terror will live. As long as outsiders dare to enter the savage wilderness, two reporters stumble into a troubled paradise and wind up running for their lives. We can't just sit here, Mark. We'd be asking for it. Because beneath the sheer beauty lies a world of utter madness. headlines erupt in a timeless thriller. Your journey ends here. Forever. Cut and run. It's the one story you won't see on the 6 o'clock news. The one story you won't be seeing on the 6 o'clock news. A reporter and her cameraman connect a surviving Jonestown leader and a TV exec's missing son to a drug war where jungle installations are being massacred by an army of natives and a skilled white assassin. Claudio Simonetti's soundtrack here is mental. I think I like it. It's so up-tempo and it's so gung-ho and so mid-80s. It's just ridiculous. 
And to be honest with you, I think that if a synthwave artist came up with this today, it would just be binned. I just think it's too much. So I am staying on the fence with this thing. Does it represent what we've seen on the screen? No, no, it does not. Not at all. And does it matter? Again, not at all. This movie is just being fun throughout its running time. Despite all the gore and the rape, uh, this score is just equally as fun. Despite its perverse sense of frivolous joy. I don't understand. I mean, what the fuck has Simonetti got to be just so happy about? I don't know. This score is nuts. But where can you find this movie? Well, right now, physical copies are on Amazon, but they are import copies, I'm sorry to say. And it's not streaming anywhere. Nowhere. As for podcasts, I couldn't find any full podcasts about Cut and Run, but there is a decent one on Diodato. Uh, it's called Profiles and Eccentricity. Uh, that's the name of the podcast, and it came out back in October 2017. And they do a good job of profiling him, but Cut and Run isn't really what that podcast is about. Number eight, Cut and Run. guess this one fast it is italian this one is also directed by lamberto barva it's produced by argento and i do know a lot about barva's dad's work of course i do but not much about lamberto except for maybe this one and the sequel the inevitably titled demons 2 <clears throat> yes macabre is another popular film of his but i have yet to see that this one, it's set in a gorgeous old cinema. If you're looking for beautiful shots in your horror films, then there are some fantastic setups outside the cinema in the early stages of this movie. And at the time of release in Italy, this one outgrossed A Nightmare on Elm Street. A Nightmare on Elm Street! Plus, I'm all about memorable scenes, and this one has loads. For instance, there's a zombie-like infection happening, and the creature that's coming out of Kathy's back once she's infected, it's incredible splatter work. And me and Brad, we're going to be talking over some more of these infamous shots in a minute. Also, I have to say, I love the opening shots, where there's loads of punks on a train. The German subway always looks great, especially in the 80s. And in the cinema, there are so many great posters on the wall. You've got ACDC, you've got Argento's Four Flies on Grey Velvet. There is a charity concert film called No Nukes, the poster of that one. You've got Werner Herzog's Nosferatu the Vampire. Metropolis is in there. There's even a creep show one without like any writing on it, just the just a creep from that one that's in there. And you've also got Paul Newman's drama called Harry and Son. I don't know a lot about that one, but that's there. It's a weird choice, that one. Uh, Bobby Rhodes, he is the black guy with the sideburns. He plays the cool-as-you-like Tony the Pimp. Greta Greta from Rats and Murder Rock. She plays Rosemary. She's the one that puts that mask on and cuts herself at the beginning. 
And her demon makeup is essential in this one as well. Another thing that I've got to mention is that the music by Claudio Simonetti from Goblin is fucking amazing. There's massive demon tongues, there's neck ripping, hanging bodies, face gouging, eye trauma, there's a scalping, there's vomiting runny shit everywhere. Of course, we're talking about demons. The preview you are about to watch is for a movie that is unlike any you have ever seen before. It is for a movie that goes beyond temporary fear to everlasting terror. It is a movie called Demons. Yes, the demons are coming, and they're coming for you. Warning. If you have the courage to see demons, sit near an exit. Otherwise, you might never get out. In your theater, who will survive the touch of the demons and who will not? Demons. With music by Billy Idol, Motley Crue, The Adventures, Rick Springfield, and Saxon. This is no dream. This is happening right now. Be happening to you. Demons. They will make cemeteries their cathedrals, and the cities will be your tombs. Will you survive it? Demons. Here is your letterboxed synopsis. A group of people are trapped in a West Berlin movie theatre infested with ravenous demons who proceed to kill and possess the humans one by one, thereby multiplying their numbers. And as I mentioned in that little build-up there, we have returning to the podcast one of my absolutely favourite ever guests, Mr Brad Hansen himself. You can often hear him on Evolution of Horror with Mike Munzer or Brain Rot with Stevie Webb, but today I've nailed him down for a chat on Barber's Demons. And what a joy it was too. It opens up in a pretty odd way. I'm pretty much having a go at him from the off, but here it is. This is Brad and myself discussing demons and definitely not the TV series Supernatural. Hey Brad, how you doing? I'm good, mate. Right, okay. First thing, right? You watched Nightmare on Elm Street three days ago now, and you've watched so many films since. Do you find these films easy to remember, knowing that you, you've got all these other films in between? How do you do it? How do you do so many podcasts and know so much stuff? How do you re- recall all this nonsense in your head? Um, I've got quite a good memory. I don't know how I've managed to obtain one. It's certainly not through training or skill, but I've always been able to like remember shit, but only if I care about it, which is why I didn't do very good at school. Um, <laughs> but so, but like, for example, I hadn't seen uh, nightmare three in about six years and 
I've seen it obviously n- numerous times before, but I remember it beat for beat. Like as we were watching, I was watching it with my girlfriend and the first time she'd ever seen it. And she was like, how do you know? <laughs> Like the, the exact cadence of the dialogue that they're going to be saying in in a moment's notice, and I don't know. I say I watch a lot of shit, and I can somehow if you are, but there are certain films that I don't care about. That if you ask me anything about it, even though I watched it two days ago, I'll be like, I don't know, can't tell. You. <laughs> Got like a filtration system in my head. I think this is more important, and this is what I really want to know myself: is why aren't you doing a podcast? There must be an angle. You, the amount of stuff you've gone through, I did some trawling through your letterboxed and it puts mine to shame. So, like, what, what is, what's the reason why you haven't gone for it? I'm intensely lazy. <laughs> oh, come it's, it's, on. It's, a, it's as simple as that. The reason why I, I don't have a podcast is, um, I just, I don't, I don't necessarily think there's anything that I feel passionately enough that or, or or believe in enough i've got ideas for podcasts obviously they always crop into my head but there's nothing that i believe um to be strong enough or interesting enough to uh, make into like a full-blown thing and i'm quite happy kind of nipping onto yours and nipping onto mics i'm on mics more regularly now with this new fresh blood strand i'll right. get a plug in for that um while i'm here i know i you know some you're not obviously not the first person to ask me about why i haven't done my own podcast but i'm just fucking lazy it's as simple as that if someone did it all for me and i just turned up and recorded then that'd be fine but all the editing and like the shit you're gonna have to do after we finish this chat fuck that can't be bothered (laughs) can't be bothered i would rather watch another movie than have to do all that shit i get that i don't want to filter through it all (laughs) and like edit it all down I've I've never even attempted to. I've got actually I've got to do something. I've got to record myself for the first time for something for brain rot, and I've got to like edit it all together. And it's the first time I'll ever be having to like make a podcast piece of content. So maybe I'll get the bug for it doing that one little bit, but probably not. I think just to put my two cents in with your life, <laughs> is I yes. think you would be awesome to do something like a worst horror film ever made sort of deal where each week you're just piling some, you know, cause there's always those lists out there. What's the worst. And you could just rummage through them. Uh, and, and yeah, I'd that is an option. I actually, I actually um, had an idea of going through and what I'm watching and reevaluating every uh, film that's on Rotten Tomatoes at 0% <laughs> yeah. with the, uh, with the idea being that I want to be able to argue it so that a new critic would come along and give the film a positive review because I don't believe any film should have 0%. So it'd be me trying to convince critics to reevaluate films and give it a positive review so it won't get a 0% anymore. That's my my main idea. And that isn't really horror because that's like the first episode would be Staying Alive, the uh, John Travolta <laughs> sequel. It's directed by Sly Stallone. Get them two on the pod. Come on. <laughs> I would be there. I would be there. I'm sure. I think a lot of people would be if I could get Sly Stallone and John Travolta on the first episode of my podcast. But uh, well, wishful you thinking. Know, you've got, you've got the links there. You've got, you've got the know-how. I really do not. Uh, <laughs> I, pre- I, pre- I appreciate you asking, but the answer is I'm really lazy and I'm sorry. Okay, man. Okay. I just I, I know you must be like bombarded with those sort of questions when you meet like people that have like been listened to on Evolution of Horror and stuff like that, but. I wanted it out there. Um, you were it on record. You're the first yeah. person to ask the difficult question straight off the bat. 
Not even a warm-up question. Just why haven't you done this? <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you, man? Uh, okay. Uh, so I... I... <laughs> okay. <laughs> I threw a couple of films at you and you came back with a couple of ace choices. The first one is Demons from 85. And I'm sort of coming at this a little different angle than I normally would on a year in horror. The first question I sent you is like, who does Lamberto Barber think he is? And the reason I phrased it like that is because I don't know anything about his work. I know that he worked a little bit with his dad on a few films, but nothing. Do you have a history with this guy? A bit, yeah. So he he made a kind of 90s giallo called Body Puzzle, which I'm a big fan of. Kind of like a, a an update of the kind of 70s uh, type of things. Obviously, he, he did two sequels to Demons. He did Demons 2 um which is set in a flat block and it's a tv signal that's um make it and it's basically a, a, a not a carbon copy of the first of, of what we're about to talk about but thematically it's very similar there's a group of people they're trapped and there's a lot of demons um but aside that he's been one of these kind of guys that's they're kind of like the splat the original splat pack uh because there's like michelle silvari who's in demons and he's also a director himself he made the excellent slasher stage fright which i'm a big fan of uh, and he appears in demons and they all kind of like sort of flit and interchange between each other's films you know argento obviously produces this one he's obviously my favorite director of all time which is obviously a stamp of quality but barbara himself you know there's obviously a degree of nepotism because daddy was the godfather of italian horror cinema right yeah but i think he's got his own kind of style his own kind of idea. It's very close to what Fulci does, but it's his idea. Is it worth Demons and Demons 2 is as far as I've gone? Is it worth me dipping in over like the other uh, Italian legends? I mean, 100%. If, you, if we're talking about if you're worth looking at like people like Mike, Michel Silvari and, and people, people like that, yeah, then yeah, definitely. Like Italian horror cinema in the 1980s, Fulci obviously is, is the god, the king of uh 80s splatter cinema which which demons definitely falls into that category of of sort of gross body horror splattery oozy i mean have you seen much of Fulci's work um recently yeah the last few weeks i've really dived in um in fact my favorite uh italian horror is zombie flesh eaters so, love a bit of zombie yeah. flesh eaters yeah oh my god it's good. and but it's 79 it's not 80s you know it's, it's not, not 80s that. no 80s goes a bit more high camp obviously 70s you start with the sort of giallo things so you've got argento's original like deep red and four flies on gray velvet and the kind of films that he started off making which were these you know crime thrillers effectively and then lambato lamberto's dad mario obviously made twitch of the death nerve also known as about a thousand other titles but I always call it Twitch of the Death Nerve because it's it's the best title. Um, Bay of Blood is what it's predominantly known as. And that's basically like an archetypal carbon copy of Friday the 13th. Or the well, Friday, should I say Friday the 13th is a carbon copy of a Bay of Blood. Right. Um, okay. I've got that to, coming up. up. To, so have you? Video Nasty, right? That one. Yeah, yeah. It's great. It's really good fun. <laughs> it's great. Um and yeah, I so yeah, anyway, I I will always recommend 80s uh, Italian cinema. Because there's some great stuff. There's a lot of shit, don't get me wrong. Um, but a lot of it's good fun. Or at least, like Demons, like very entertainingly watchable. Okay. I composed a top five for the 80s Italian films that I've seen and I love, mm. right? 
and uh, mm. I'm going to run it by you. And I'll, I'll sure. just, uh, am I missing stuff out? And am I going wrong here? Right. Okay. So at number five, New York Ripper. Good fun. Brilliant. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I can't really do the. Uh, got a bit of a throat thing going on today, so I can't do the sort of thing he does. If that's not going to pull you into a film, I don't know what what will. Is Any, a serial killer that makes Donald Duck noises and kills pr- exclusively prostitutes. Yes, please. I would love to. <laughs> tick all those all those Brad boxes. Tick. That's done. Sold. Uh, number four, absurd. Oh, Anthropophagus Two by Joe <laughs> yes. Diamato. Yes, it really lives up to the title. Yeah, right. Um, I thought this would be just utter trash, uh, and fun. it was, but it was brilliant trash. I loved yeah, it. Yeah, don't make a lick of sense. So, like the priests, fucking what they made, like a Terminator-style zombie man that likes cutting, that likes people dying really slowly. Like what? What? What was the plan there? But fun, nevertheless. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Fun. That's for the poster. Yeah, it's fun, nevertheless. It's fun. Uh, free demons. Um, yeah. And here we go. Two is Cannibal Ferox, which I okay. just absolutely loved it. But I think I loved it because I actually love my number one more, Cannibal Holocaust. Now, I put Cannibal Holocaust up there with like Evil Dead 2, The Shining, Nightmare on Elm Street, Hellraiser. It's uh, like an incredible horror film that I'll, I truly love. Watched it mm. for the first time less than a year ago. Uh, mm. I just think it's incredible. Um, How good is that score? Right? Every single thing The score works. is amazing. And, and there's stuff I hate watching it. I can't stand that animal stuff. I was watching it through my fingers. And mm. yet I came out of that film, just go, I've got to watch that again. And that is such a rare thing. It doesn't happen a lot. Um, mm. What's your thoughts on like, sort of that five? Is that a good sort of beginner's guide, do you think? Uh, I would say that um, because you're doubling up on cannibals, I would say take out Ferox because Ferox is effectively cannibal holocaust, but let's try and make it even eviler and worse, yeah. which I kind of I appreciate it for. But if we're double cannibaling, I would say get that out. And you've shockingly omitted the beyond. Fuck, fuck that trilogy. I'm, I'm I still... love the beyond so much. Everyone so, loves it. I've just and... spoken for two hours about it. <laughs> with a mate of mine and it's still doing my head in and he thinks i'm the biggest prick it's like what's wrong with you you can like this you can like this you can like this if you, you like demons like how do you not like the beyond they're like the same film but the beyond is better i, I wish it's gonna it's you know it's gonna hit me that. because i'd seen all these before i'd started the podcast and i thought they were just all shit and they were just all like gathering dust and since i've watched them a few times each um and they get better every time like i look forward to little bits every time that i just thought were just cat shit in my first instance so i know that i'm getting used to it but the italian stuff for me it it's a real slow thing for me to love it mike's got the same issue with you like mike munster from evolution hates italian horror or for the most part and he's only just sort of like he's only just starting to get on board with suspiria now which is obviously the best film of all time um but he but he's only just kind of getting the rhythm and tone because these films are so outlandish and comic and you don't really come to these films for narrative you come for like tone atmosphere vibes for want of a better word and they are more like mood pieces i'm not going in to watch you know rats nights of terror or Cannibal Apocalypse with John Saxon. I'm not coming to these films for like, oh, I really hope this has got a compelling narrative. I'm coming for this kind of like 
experience of of the grand guignol of it all this kind of operatic bloodletting that's i don't care how we get there just show me eyeballs getting done that's all i care about that's what i will say yeah fair enough each of those films uh, of that trilogy uh, a loose trilogy should we say has just such incredible set pieces that I've not never seen before and never seen since. So yeah, fair, fair enough, fair play. But just, I love linear storytelling and I'm just, you know what I mean? Just like you said, that's what I- They're lacking. Mate, I don't know. I'm, even I this one. I'm lacking. Even, <laughs> no, even demons though. What's, what's, the, what's the narrative of demons? What's <laughs> happening there? Let's get there. All right. So what, what's initially, how did you come across demons? Like, was it the VHS boom? Were you, cause you're young. Were you a VHS kid or were you past that? But I'm not that young. Okay. I'm like, I'm, I'm 30. How old am I? I'm 37. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot how old I was. Um, no, I'm a VHS kid. I actually found demons first time, I think through, through Vipco back in the, you're gonna pull me out and show it to me. That's the one. Yeah. So that that's the one. Yeah. I, yeah. I can't watch it because I I ordered VHS player for this and it still hasn't yeah. arrived. Oh, so, <laughs> there we go. Yeah, to take it on the chin. <laughs> so I think that's probably the, the first time I um I experienced demons was probably VHS uh, renting it probably from my local video shop, Hits Video. Shout out to Hits Video. It doesn't exist anymore, obviously. Um. And um, yeah, it was kind of the right, you know, teat sort of early teens mid teens sort of you know coming into as much mad shit as possible you know off the back of watching evil dead that was like okay well what else is like evil dead demons probably going to be like evil dead isn't it oh yeah it is <laughs> um except it doesn't have a narrative <laughs> but i wasn't thinking of it at 15 i don't care about narrative my favorite film is biodome at that point <laughs> That's actually that's actually true. I have a Biodome T-shirt. <laughs> oh my word! Okay, buddy. The, 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 I watched this growing up without realizing I had watched it. So, like years later down the line, I'm watching Demons, and I'm like, oh, that was oh, the film. Yes. The helicopter comes through at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this was at the same time uh, as. So it's quite recently, I guess. Uh, I watched, went to see Kate Bush live, and she. Oh yeah. A part of that stage show at Hammersmith Odeon, a helicopter comes down into the audience, the whole bottom rig of the helicopter, full-size helicopter. Mm. Um, and I was just like, oh, do you know, it just hits you. Like, oh, my word, demons. Like, this happened in demons. And it was so good. And, of course, speaking to my missus going, I have no idea. What are you talking oh, about? It happens to me all the time. Don't worry. I'm like, <laughs> oh, it's so cool. You know, it's like this. And she's like, I don't, I don't, I couldn't care less. Up, don't care. But the motorbikes in the cinema is what I really took from it. Cause that, whenever you think of demons, well, I say again, whenever I think of demons, I'm not thinking of all those cool little touches, like the little scratch on the face or anything like that, which I think of when I'm watching it, I just think of riding a motorbike around a cinema. Like that sounds like so haphazardly as well. It's crazy. So, it's manic. Does that make any sense? Like you cut, this can't be helping. <laughs> like you can't be. <laughs> And it not, can't be like, like you're literally putting yourself more in in more harm's way to get scratched or nicked by flomping around up on the seats and everything. It don't make any sense. 
But I mean, it's great. It looks great to see someone zipping around a cinema, but I just don't know how effective it really truly was as a okay. as a battle plan. <laughs> I mean, they've tried a lot before that, you know, so nothing's worked. <laughs> Nothing is working. You're right. Okay, so what what's good about demons? So the, the questions are what is ace about demons and what is shit about demons? Because really you can't go into oh, what do you think of this story arc and, and things like that? You can't do There's that. No arcs thing. to talk about, no. Um, I like the fact it's no must, no fuss, right? So it quickly establishes through a very bizarre opening scene on a subway. What? Why are you so scared? Like, what are you so scared of? Uh, and yeah, and she gets the, the ticket, and we get we get sent in, and we and we're in the action, you know, within the first fifteen minutes. So I can't fault the film because the first, the thing I hate, especially with contemporary horror, is it takes an hour for anything to happen, and then we have like half hour of scaries, and then it's done. Uh, this film is like stupid mad gory violent obviously incredibly easy to follow um it's got some amazing special effects and practical effects like the the glowing eyes is is such um an evocative image and it's something that it, i don't think you've really i've really seen anywhere but in demons and i love it, that it's become kind of it's one of its like signatures you know the, the image you have in your background right now is yeah. so kind of legendary, shall we say. I love that about the film. I, I agree. And yet it's not uh, a linear within the story of the film because in a few scenes later, there's no glowing eyes. They're, they're back to normal eyes. Um, they're night vision, can... I reckon. <laughs> Maybe. But Could be. Yeah. What, why Why are they yellow? Like, that's awesome. Love that. Like, even with, with Dracula, like, when they were shining a torch in into the eyes of, like, Bela Lugosi or whoever to, like, make them glow a little bit, you know, mm. it's been done before, but not like that. And as well as that sort of effect, the gore here is, it's I think stuff. it's the Fulci, like, what was Fulci doing? Okay, let's see what else we can do and add to this sort of mess that, that you can get on screen. And it's mm. really effective. It really works. There's a lot of mouthwash and baking soda. Um, I think is the is, is the classic combo in this. It's, it's very gunky. It's very um, it's very textured. Like there's a lot of like pulling and ripping at seams and stuff. There's a lot of like things aren't like no clean cuts or anything. Everything's kind of gouged and scratchy and pulled apart and ripped apart and torn apart. And I kind of love that kind of like violent evisceration when it comes to the violence. I think it's like, I'm not saying it's the only film that's ever done it, but I think it's a film that does it very well. What about the dialogue? So there Shit. <laughs> there's, Awful. There's a line where someone says that scream sounds real. And the comedy beat perfectly afterwards says, "Oh, it's the Dolby." So, it, like, it's the Dolby. <laughs> that's. I was watching. It, it was like they didn't say that. They didn't just say. It. And I rewrote. And they did say that. Like, there's a, there's some there's some funny little gags and stuff, you know, and but it's it's, it's bad. Like it's it, it's bad dialogue. And you know, you've got the two women sitting together, and then the two men come over, and they're like, "Hey, what's up? Um, uh, you know, if you get scared, you can, uh, you know, hold on to me." And you think, "Oh, this could do something quite fun with this." Nah, she's immediately like clinging <laughs> on to him, like it's like, "Ugh, come on!" But then yeah. you think it's 1985; they didn't know any better. I mean, we'd already had Ellen Ripley, but it doesn't matter. Women are weak in this one, right? 
Yeah, well, well, are they? Because like, are they though? That's the thing. The scary demon, the one from the poster that I had in my video shop, was fucking terrifying. Absolutely she's a, terrifying. She's a badass bee. I'm going to talk about things that you will definitely think are awesome and great, but what the fuck, right? So another line here, and we're in the car as we're approaching, and they're listening to, like, like these are hard, like, drug-taking youths out to destroy tonight, and they're listening to Go West, like, in their car, which I Mm -hmm. sort of really dug. I would have been the same. Uh, I, th- I think the soundtrack in, in general in this is fucking insane. Like the the lineup of bands, you know, actually having like Billy Idols just p- yes. pumping out in the midway through a film. I'm thinking, how, for the rights perspective, how much did you pay for all this shit? Do you know what I mean? It must have been yeah. some sort of dodgy deal. Must have been because you get Motley Crue, Saxon, when there there was still some sort of um, cash money behind Saxon. Uh, yeah, you know, and it's like Go West, right when Go West were a thing, you know, they were big bands. And um, but what I what I'm getting at here really is they're in this car, Brad, and they're doing coke out of a coke can. Yes. Um, for this, I thought, is this a joke that just doesn't hit? But it really goes for it. it really goes for a, a long period of like cocaine talk and cocaine abuse and. I wondered why. Do you have any idea of why they've included this whole section? I mean, let's be honest. Most films in the 1980s were fueled by cocaine. You just have to look at Stephen King's Maximum Overdrive to see a perfect example of cocaine cinema. And To Live or Die in LA, the William Freakin film, ultimate cocaine cinema film. But I, I, I do think it's a gag that they think it's funny. Right. So they do it once. And when I saw it, I was like, why is he like the first time I was like, why is he snorting Coca Cola? I was like, that's, that is all done it. We've all been there. We've all been at the bottom <laughs> of the barrel snorting Coca-Cola. And obviously it goes around. And this scene, interestingly, has been cut from a lot of um, the releases because oh. a lot of the um, censors in the particular countries don't like this drug scene. They don't like the kind of glorification of drugs, especially the whole like, you know, razor blade scraping off tits cocaine Sorry. sort of stuff so a lot of this sort of bit is actually cut out of most of the cuts of the film um because they don't like it it's a glorification because it, it really does make cocaine look quite fun i'm sure it is oh it's not for me to say <laughs> uh, you're not getting that exclusive unfortunately <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> final thing from me uh yes. and i don't i hope hopefully you know it. Do you know the program Supernatural? Um, with Jared Pilecki. Hmm. I don't know it, but one second. What are you going to say about it first? Dean, Dean uh, Winchester from the show, like that's the character in the show, just looks a spitting image of the guy in here, and I can't get it out of my head when I watch it. Right, one second. Dean Winchester. You know, oh, literally, our head's just gone. Are you talking about supernatural? <laughs> Apparently, does what? Does what? One second. Does one of the men in Demons, because you watched Demons with me last night, um, does one of them look like Dean Winchester? Which one are you talking about? Uh, the the, uh, the one that the main guy. Sits, yeah, main guy, uh, motorbike guy. The motorbike guy. Does he look a bit like Jensen Ackles? She doesn't think so. She'd know. Okay. 
All right, it's just me. Uh, I do, I'm looking at him now because I I didn't know. Uh, yeah, I I I'm not a virgin, so I haven't watched Supernatural. <laughs> so, but uh, I I can see it more than she can. Right, okay. I agree with you more, but not entirely. I get but, it. Well, it takes me out of it anyway. <laughs> That's that bit for me. That's it. I don't, I don't like the film anymore. It reminds me of Supernatural. <sighs> I can't believe you perked up then. <laughs> yeah, well, he's thank you. He's very handsome, brilliant. That makes me feel great. It's my mum, <laughs> by the way. I'm joking. It's not my. It's, it's not my mum. <laughs> uh, you're in trouble. Uh, uh, right, okay. Um, hey, Brad, does this movie hold up today? Does it work? If you were going to watch what? this, you've just seen X, you've just seen Fresh, and then, uh, you know, someone brings this over. Are you going to enjoy it? Yeah, I reckon you get a couple of cans in. Get You need a couple of cans in you. A couple of cans of Coke in you. In your beak. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, it's fun. Like, I think it's a good film to watch with, like, mates around pizza, beer. You're drinking a beer right now. I just saw you do it. Yeah. Um, I think it's a perfect kind of, yeah, like Friday night flick, shall we call it? You're not going to sit down on a Sunday afternoon and be like, shall we ponder the complexities of demons, darling? No, it's a Friday night with the boys. Let's fucking get on it and watch some people get gunked on. Yeah, I, I've got to admit, I feel much the same. It's one of those films that I would watch with friends. And I think maybe I'll watch it more now because I remember how much I enjoyed it growing up. But I'll still put it on, still get tons out of it, and then it goes back in the collection to watch the following year. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, it, it was. It took me. It took me six years to re, uh, seven years. It had been seven years since I saw the first Demons. Okay. I've got a lot. I watch a lot of shit, mate. Like as you said, <laughs> I've got enough to get through. I can't be treating myself to a yearly Demons rewatch. I got. A bit, I'm busy. I got stuff to do. As I said earlier, the music from Claudio Simonetti, he of Goblin fame, is amazing. You have your hyped up keyboard 80s horror score all laid out in front of you if you get this soundtrack. But there's added bonuses here. You've got some electric guitars soloing away a lot of the time. And I mean they are wailing. Plus, you've got these gated drum pads keeping the beat and it just screams the 80s in such a genuine way. It is not a recreation. Of course it isn't. This is what synthwave artists today try and recreate all the time. And it's not as easy as it sounds. This is the OG. Now, I must admit, I've only discovered this in the last few years, but I've listened to it a lot, a lot of times since I found out about it. 
I mean, when I first watched the movie, when I was a lot younger, I couldn't even remember the actual title of the movie that I'd seen, let alone the soundtrack. So, of course, I've only just discovered it again. Now, of course, Simonetti, he was in Goblin. And yes, some of those Goblin scores are some of the all-time best horror scores ever that have been released, ever that have been made. But this is a solo effort, and it is also quite brilliant. I can't wait to visit more of his stuff in the future. I'm going to throw this list at you. Listen to these titles. You've got Conquest, The Editor, The Washing Machine, Cut and Run, Midnight Killer, Body Count, Nightmare Beach and The Church, and there's about 50 others. Now, I've only seen Nightmare Beach from that lot, and that was absolutely bonkers. I just can't wait to see what else I've got in score. A, to listen to, and B, to actually watch the films themselves. Okay, where can you find this? Well, you can stream it in the UK for free. It's on Shudder, and it's on Arrow. And in the USA, if you've got Hoopla or access to Mubi, you can find it there. Better still, maybe just go out and buy the Arrow video box set. Uh, You can get that in the US and the UK, I'm pretty sure. Or you can get just that generic standalone Arrow Blu-ray. It's got approximately 3,265 extra features. As for podcasts, Spook Factory, they covered demons in January 2021. And Dark Knight of the Podcast, they had their say a month later in February 2021 as well. 